Pentecost, excuse me, Pentecost sometimes feels like building a fire where you think you have the framework of your log cabin, but it just doesn't seem to ignite. And so you try to move toward a teepee, and it still doesn't seem to ignite. And so then you have to try to put the log cabin and the teepee together and stick some cardboard in there and maybe a little lighter fluid, and then you can get that fire going. But maybe you come from a different tradition, maybe a Pentecostal background. And this is all you heard about growing up, was the Holy Spirit. And for you, all you had to do was lay a piece of cardboard down, light it, watch it flame, and that fire was going. But no matter where we come from in this passage today, I hope that as we enter into it, we can experience God in a new way. We can experience the power of the one who is our creator, redeemer, sustainer, and friend in a way that brings new life to ourselves, to our families, to this community, and to the communities that we live and serve. And so as we enter into this passage today, will you please join me in prayer? Holy Spirit, descend upon this place. Be present with us. Be present in us. May we experience your power through your word in a whole new way this morning. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So our passage today starts with Acts 2, verse 1. And it says, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. Now the question arises, did Pentecost exist before this day? Because it's mentioned in Acts that they were together for Pentecost. The answer is yes. I learned this this week. I did not realize that there was a Jewish feast of Pentecost. It's called Shavuot. And it was a primarily a Thanksgiving for the first fruits of the wheat harvest. But it was also associated with the remembrance of the law given by God to Moses on Mount Sinai. And so this is a day that the Jewish community would gather and they would celebrate what God had given them. Whether that be from the fields or from the law. The ways that God had been working in their lives and in their communities. They, the 11 disciples plus Matthias, who had just been added at the end of chapter 1 to replace Judas, are gathered to celebrate all that God has done. That starts a new meaning to Pentecost, right? Because they were expectant that there was going to be something done by God. Are we expectant today that God is going to do something? That God is going to show up? As we gather in this place, do we hold that same thanksgiving for the first fruits of the harvest? Do we hold that same thanksgiving for the law, for the promises that God has given us? Are we expectant that God's goodness and faithfulness is amongst us? And in their expectancy, suddenly a fire from heaven 
chained. And before that, there was a sound like a rush of violent wind, and it filled the entire house. Divided tongues of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. There is wind, and there is fire, and there is power. I don't know about you, but this makes me kind of uncomfortable. If I'm in a space and a huge wind comes blowing through, I know there's going to be destruction. When fire descends on something or roars up from a place, it is destructive. Fire that comes from nowhere causes death and destruction often. And it challenges my perspective of God. Because the New Testament perspective of God is one of grace and love. It is of a Jesus who walked amongst us, who brought good news. And then here comes a violent wind and fire. That disrupts my perspective of who God is. And it feels foreign and uncomfortable. A wind-filling house filling the house, tongues of fire descending. That's not something I've ever experienced and lived to tell the story of. But maybe that's the point. Maybe destructive, foreign, invasive, uncomfortable feelings, maybe that's the point. The story of Acts 2 goes on, and it says, All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. In verse 6, And at the sound of the crowd gathered, all were bewildered, because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they were asked, Are not all these people Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? The people gathered are from all ends of the earth, and yet they're hearing their language when they should be hearing Greek. They should be hearing the language that is spoke in that area, Hebrew and Greek. And this passage paints a picture of confusion and chaos in a world that is supposed to be ordered and systematic. But maybe that's the point. In a world that's supposed to be ordered and systematic, there is chaos and confusion. Have you ever been in a situation where someone has started speaking in tongues? There was a time that I was serving a church in Bloomington, and a friend's dad was visiting. And it had been a rather rough situation throughout my life, or in that season of life, and the dad asked if he could pray for me said, sure. And so Mark, this dad, starts praying for me. I can't understand a word he's saying. Sounded Hebrew, actually. And his daughter leans over and goes, he's speaking in tongues. I was like, okay. It completely took my ordered, systematic understanding of communication with God and brought it into chaos and disorder. Maybe that's the point. Acts continues on that they were all amazed and perplexed, 
saying to one another, what does this mean? And others sneered and said, they are filled with new wine. They must be drunk. When we see disorder and chaos, when we perceive destruction and violence, we immediately assume that something's wrong. And yet, the Spirit of God descends upon these people, and there is chaos and violent winds and fire that could be destructive. And it's not wrong. It's power of God. Our, their entire worldview is thrown in to a totally uncertain, unrelatable moment. Maybe that's the point. At that point, Peter, the rock, stands up, and he decides it's time to address everyone. And Peter sets them straight. He says they're not drunk. It is only 9 o'clock in the morning, even though it's 5 o'clock somewhere. Don't worry about it. And he says, this was spoken through the prophet Joel. And he quotes Joel, one of the Old Testament prophets, who says that in the last days it will be, God declares, I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And my sons and your daughters and your prophecy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon the slaves, both men and women in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show portions of the heavens above and signs from the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Remember, this day is a celebration of the law. A celebration of the first fruits. And Peter speaks the words of a prophet that says this is the fruit of following God that my spirit will be poured upon you. Not just those of you who seem worthy, but even the slaves will have my spirit. Maybe that's the point. Peter finishes his little speech with saying, with Reading from Joel, it says, Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. There is power in the Spirit, according to Joel, that those who call on the name of Jesus will be saved. Maybe that's the point. Do you ever wonder what's the point? What's the point of having better gun laws? What's the point of mental health services if they're not affordable? What's the point of gathering in community if I'm only going to be hurt? What's the point of getting married, of having kids, of having grandkids, if all we see is death and destruction, if we see violence on TV all the time? What's the point of building relationships What's the point? I ask myself that a lot. Looking at our world today in the brokenness 
in the death, in the violence. What's the point, God? And I think we see the point in this passage because it shows us that God is at work in all situations through ways we would never expect. As organized, stable, first world Christians, we have a system for everything. We have an order of worship that does not change across every denomination. Let's be real there. Even the non-denominational churches, they like to say they're flexible. They're not. They have their order of worship. It does not change. It's two songs, a prayer, a 45-minute sermon, and then a blessing that tells you that you're dismissed. We have our polity. We have our ways of connecting. And we like to think that our fire that we're building is going to ignite because it's the way we've done it for 2,000 years. And yet, through the Holy Spirit, we see a disruptive God who comes in in the midst of tradition and blows them away, screws everything up. And I think that's the point. That's the point of our living. That's the point of our working. That's the point of our marrying, our birthing, our serving, our creating. That no matter how much we plan, no matter how much we organize, God will work through it to bring about new life. Because God works in mysterious ways. And ultimately, God works through the chaos. We see in this passage that God is a God of uncertainty. And that God is a God who shows up in power. We think of the story of the three little pigs. The first one builds his house out of straw. The second one builds his house out of sticks. And the third one builds his house out of bricks. And the wolf comes and he huffs and he puffs and he blows the, the first two down and he doesn't blow the third down. But have you thought? But that house of bricks, even though it provides structure, maybe isn't the house that sends the pig into the world to share the message. Maybe that house of bricks is a sanctuary, a place of safety. But it protects the pig so much that when the next predator comes, he's not prepared. He's not ready. The Holy Spirit comes into a place that these people are gathered. Not in a safe, wonderful, grace-filled way, but in wind and fire to destroy, to burn down the expectations and the assumptions that the Jewish people had and to bring about new life that ultimately led to the gospel being spread to every corner of the world. How is God trying to enter into your house of bricks today? What walls have you put up that 
keep things orderly and organized, but maybe keep God out. That don't create space for the spirit to come rushing in, to descend upon it and cause a little chaos, to change and transform your life. What ways have we as a worshiping community built a house of bricks that our order and organization rule everything and we don't expect God to be present? the Holy Spirit to blow through. The closest we get is the fan. What ways has our community, our country, put up a house of bricks that keeps things stable but keeps God out? Brothers and sisters, we serve a God who wants to disrupt, who wants to screw up our plans so that we can better live into him. And when we build that brick house with a brick wall and a brick courtyard and a moat all around, it creates a barrier. Not that God can't get through, because God can still get through but it makes it a lot harder for our hearts to be open to that work. And so as we go out today, how will we be open to experiencing God in new ways? What walls do we need to kick down? What doors do we need to open? What places do we need to be willing to hear chaos, and other languages within our own lives and within our communities and our world? How can we be people who are okay with uncertainty, who are okay with a little bit of chaos, who are okay with a little bit of God's power showing up? Go. Be a people who kick down walls, who break down barriers, and say, Holy Spirit, come. Because we're not afraid to know that when we call on Jesus' name, we shall be saved. Amen?